Well, amen. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning as we continue our series of thanks living, living a life of gratitude. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at different areas that we should be thankful or grateful for. Week number one, Pastor Ricky shared about friendship, those relationships around us, but then most importantly, the relationship and friendship that we have with God and how that fuels our gratefulness and our thanksgiving. Last week, Pastor Rob talked about service and being thankful and grateful for service and how we're called to serve something so much bigger than ourselves. And we took time to honor the veterans that were here and have served our country. So this week, we want to continue the idea of living a life of gratitude and spend some time unpacking what the Bible has to say about how an attitude of gratefulness and thanksgiving should impact and fuel our worship. If you want to grab your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 100, that's where we'll spend most of our time. It will also be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. But as you turn there, I want to try to set the stage in the context of what we're about to read. So imagine if you would, that you are a Jew that lives in the ancient Near East. The time for one of the Jewish annual feasts has come, so you start your pilgrimage from where you live to the holy city of Jerusalem. Your ultimate destination is going to be the temple. Your purpose is to worship, and your motivation is to express your thanksgiving and gratefulness to God for what he has done for you and for your people. You leave home focused, determined, expectant for something. But along the way, something changes. The journey's long. The sun is hot. The path is unyielding. The animal that you're bringing for sacrifice feels burdensome. The people that you're traveling with in your caravan, they're noisy. And now, where you were once felt motivated, now you feel frustrated. Asking yourself, what in the world am I even doing this for? Do I turn back? But I've already come so far, so maybe I'll press on. You can probably relate if you've ever taken a road trip with your kids. It sounds like a great idea. We'll spend family time together. It'll be great. No more than a half an hour in, you're already looking at rest stops where you can start to systematically leave your kids, right? Because they're yelling and they're screaming. Like, what in the world are we doing? But you press on. You reach your destination. When you reach there, it all makes sense. This is why we endured. And so those pilgrims of old that would travel to the holy city as they felt those feelings of frustration, why are we doing this? They lost sight of their journey. They press on towards the city, and as they approach the city, they hear a joyful, beautiful, harmonious noise. As they enter through the gates of the city and they walk through the streets and they enter the temple, they see the source of the sound. There's greeters, men that are standing out on the outside of the temple, facing the city gates. And they're greeting the travelers, not with a handshake, but with a song. And as the words of the song begin to penetrate the hearts and the minds of those that are traveling, that frustration begins to fade away. Focus. Focus begins to be restored. And they realize why they came to worship. The call to worship is what we know as Psalm 100. So I want you to read it with me. If you're not there, just turn there real quick. But again, it'll be up on the screens. This is what it says. It says, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. 
Come before him with singing, with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Will you stop and pray with me for just a moment? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for truth and life. We pray that this morning that you would both challenge and encourage us. That we would know what it is to rightly respond to you. In our attitude of worship. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. The heading above verse 1 in Psalm 100 says, A psalm for giving thanks. Out of all 150 psalms, this is the only psalm that has that title. If you've ever read through the psalms, you know that the attitude and, and thought of gratefulness and thanksgiving is scattered throughout all of those psalms. But this is the only one that bears the title, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. It's almost as if the author, who we presume to be David, was saying, if you want to know how to give thanks to God, let me show you how. And he gives us the psalm. The theme of the whole passage is that we are called to worship God for who he is and what he has done. That thanksgiving to God is our responsibility. It's not a date on a calendar. It's not a set of circumstances. It's not a mood that we just happen to be in. It's a response that we have to God for who he is and what he has done. So let's look through this together. Let's look. The first encouragement that the psalmist wants to give and remind us of is that there is joy in worship. There is joy in worship. Listen to what it says, verse 1 and 2. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with singing, with joy. Church, we're commanded to be joyful. And the fact that we're commanded to be joyful tells us something about the very nature of joy. If joy can be ordered, if joy can be, if joy can be commanded, that means that joy isn't happiness because happiness is dependent on what happens. It's thing-centered. It's people-centered. It's event-centered. That's why happiness is such an unstable emotion because if we take away the thing, the person or the event, typically our happiness goes with it. But joy, real joy, is not thing-centered, people-centered, or event-centered. It's God-centered. That's where the source of our joy comes from. That's why I can have joy no matter what I'm going through, no matter what circumstance I face right now. I can have joy because no matter what happens in my life, no matter what shifts, what changes, what is altered, God doesn't change. God's nature, God's character, God's ways remain the same. Someone say amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. If God is who he is, and he is still alive and in charge, and he cares for you, and he cares for me, then we have a reason to rejoice no matter what we are going through. So the psalmist commands us to be joyful. But what does that look like? What does it mean to have joy in God? He gives us some examples. The first command found in the passage is to shout. 
shout with joy to the Lord. It's to make a loud and joyful announcement of triumph. Think of a soldier coming back after a victory in the battlefield or a triumphant king entering back into the city. The shouts of praise, the shouts of acclamation that would be given in response to their victory. He's saying that church shouldn't be like sitting in a doctor's office or in a funeral or sitting in traffic. When you come before God, you ought to come before him with joyful praise. Notice the text says you ought to shout to the Lord all the earth. Not just a select group of people. All the earth ought to shout with joy to the Lord. I believe the Holy Spirit put that there specifically for some people that may say, man, that's not my style. I don't even like talking to people and you want me to shout? The really amazing thing is that whether you think it's your style, your culture, your background, God isn't interested in any of that. It doesn't matter your education, your sophistication, your context, your culture, your background. If you know who God is, if you've experienced the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in your life, and you have a relationship with this living God, something ought to well up within you and overflow from your heart and come out as joyful praise to the living God. The psalmist says we should shout for joy. He goes on to say in verse 2, Worship the Lord with gladness. In this verse, the word worship can also be translated as serve. So to worship the Lord means to serve the Lord. And he's reminding us that God expects us to be an active participant in our worship. Did you know that just because we sit through a worship service doesn't mean we actually worshiped? I've seen it happen week after week. I've probably done it from time to time. Someone says, hey, how was worship? And we start going through the list in our mind. Well, I didn't like the song set. The drummer was too loud. People around me didn't sing. The preacher went long. I've tried not to. We list all these things that, clear, that characterize and qualify our worship, if it was good or it was bad. But the command to serve the Lord means the key is not how the preacher did or how the praise team did, though those things are important to help create an environment where we can worship. But he's reminding us that we have a personal responsibility to offer worship and service to the Lord. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, our worship has to extend past these 60 minutes and make its way into our day-to-day living, our day-to-day life. It could look like anything. When you're driving, you could throw on K-Love. You could listen to some songs that are going to encourage you. They're going to remind you of God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Maybe in that moment, you want to give out a shout for joy. Maybe you're comfortable there. People driving next to you may wonder what's going on, but that's okay. When you're home and you're worshiping, you're home, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're, you're serving with your family, we do it with gladness. Because there's joy in worship. So there's joy in worship. We're going to keep going. We're invited to worship is the second thing that the psalmist reminds us. We're invited to worship. Verse 2, come before him with singing. Come before him singing with joy. 
second part of verse 2, that command to come. It's a divine invitation. God invites you, God invites me to worship him. He wants your presence, your fellowship, and your communion. That's the privilege of worship. Think about that for just a moment. God has puny little me and you on his mind, and he says, come into my presence. This morning when you woke up, the living God was bidding to your heart, saying, come into my presence. What a privilege to be invited into the presence of God. So he says, come into my presence. Then he says, well, I have one stipulation. Come into my presence with singing. You see, the first thing that happens when we run into the presence of God shouldn't be to make the list of our requests, shouldn't be the list of our complaints, of our questions. He says, when you come into my presence, come in with songs of praise. God doesn't even care if you can sing well. just want you to come with a song of praise. I thank God for the worship team, talented musicians that are up here that help create an environment of worship, an environment where we feel like we can express our heart to God. But can I challenge you, church? Don't let a worship team worship for you. Don't let them sing your song. God wants us to be active participants, not to be entertained. If you know what God has done for you, you might not be able to sing well, but you ought to have a song. A song of God's goodness, a song of God's faithfulness. It says to worship joyfully. So we're to shout with joy. We're to have joy in our worship. We're invited to come and worship. It's for all people. Then we're to know the God. Third thing he reminds us, know the God that we worship. Know who we worship. Verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Another command. We've had a bunch so far. Shout to God, worship, sing. Now we're told to know. Know. Verses 1 and 2 say, if you're going to sing and you're going to worship rightly, then you need to feel something. There needs to be a joy. There needs to be a gladness. There needs to be a song in your heart. Now verse 3 says, if you're going to worship you need to know something. It's not just a feeling. You see, to worship is to ascribe worth. To ascribe worth to something, you have to know it. How can you ascribe worth if you don't know what it is? So the psalmist is saying, if you're going to worship God right, you need to know him. There needs to be that relationship with you and God. You need to acknowledge that he is God and God alone. This is why you can thank God no matter what's going on in your life, because God is God all by himself. He's not waiting for anyone else's input. God is God all by himself. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise with carved idols. You see, God is too great to share his throne with anybody. The psalmist says if you want to learn how to be grateful, no matter what the season is, then you need to recognize that God is God all by himself. But not only is God God, God is the creator. Because he goes on, he makes us. 
He has made us and we are his. He made us. You didn't make yourself. I didn't make myself. There is no self-made person in this room. We are just a vapor that is here one moment and gone the next. The only reason why we've made it as far as we have is because of who God is to us. If God made us, then we're his. And we don't like that thought sometimes. We don't like the thought of a creator because if there's a creator, that means there's an authority that I have to submit myself to. That's why I'm convinced that the, probably the hardest verse in the Bible to wrap your head around is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can come to grips with that verse, you can come to grips with anything that you're going to read in the Bible. You see, I believe that God made a fish that swallowed Jonah and kept him for three days. The Bible tells me that story. I believe it. I believe that God made the sun stand still in the sky so that Joshua could win his battle. Because I read it in the Bible. I believe it. And I believe it because if God created it, then God controls it. If God created it, then God is in charge of it. So God created the sea and the air, the wind, the fish. And if God created me and you, then guess what? God is in control and in charge of us. And that's great news because as we acknowledge that the Lord is God and that we are his people, that he made us, it goes on to say that we are the sheep of his pasture. So if God cares for us, God controls us, God cares for us because he takes care of what belongs to him. We could spend a whole series on what it means for God to be a shepherd. But to keep it simple this morning, real quick, God is a shepherd. We are his sheep. Sheep can't feed themselves. They can't provide for themselves. They can't protect themselves. They are doomed without a shepherd. But when we run to the cross and trust in him who declared himself, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd that would lay down his life for his sheep. The good news is that God will be your shepherd, which means he'll feed you, he'll lead you, he'll watch over you, he'll protect you, he'll take care of you. So how is it that I can come into the presence of God and shout for joy and worship him with gladness, sing songs of joy? I can do that because I know who God is. He is God. I know that he is my creator. He made me, and because he made me, he will take care of me. He will provide for me. He will protect me. He will lead me. Psalm 23, it's a very familiar psalm that David wrote. Even if you don't go to church very often, you probably have heard it. If you've attended a funeral or a service in church, it's very popular and spoken much. It says this, As the Lord is my shepherd, and because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. Because everything I need, my shepherd provides. Because when I get hungry, he makes me lie down in green pastures. When I get thirsty, he leads me beside still waters. When I stray away, he restores my soul. When I don't know which way to go, he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. When I'm in a dark valley, I will fear no evil because my shepherd is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Whatever you are going through, God commands you to be joyful because of who he is and who you are to him. So we have to know God. And then he encourages us with one more thing. Verse four, he reminds us 
that there is a thankfulness in worship. There's a thankfulness in worship. The text says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Here in verse 4, the writer commands us to be thankful as our approach to God. Be thankful and approach God with grateful praise. Enter the gates of the city. Enter the courts of the temple with thanksgiving and with praise. Another invitation. We're already invited to come. Now we're invited to enter in. And just like the first invitation, this invitation has a stipulation. Enter in with thanksgiving and praise. That's not how a lot of us enter into worship. A lot of times we come into worship and our mind is consumed with what happened this week. The struggles that are going on. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm distracted. And then maybe we sit and we wonder, man, what's it going to take today? What's, the, what's Pastor Ricky going to say today? What's Pastor Jake going to say today? What's Pastor going to say today that's going to get me in my mood to worship? That's going to make me set. Now I'm ready to respond to God. Now I'm ready to tell God how good he is. We should not come to worship and then decide if we feel like worshiping or not. The psalmist says we ought to enter in. Enter into the gates. Enter into the courts with the thanksgiving and the praise already there. Now you may say, Pastor, that's easy for you to say. You have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. You have no idea the struggles my family are facing right now. You have no idea what's going on in my health. You're right, I don't know. Pastor, you don't know those things. So how can I enter into a place? How can I come here and enter in with thanksgiving and with praise? I'm really glad that you asked. Because the first four verses of Psalms 100 tells us how we should worship. The final verse tells us why. Look at it with me, verse 5. It says, For the Lord is good, his unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. For the Lord is good. You see, despite what you're going through, the Lord is good. Good is a statement of God's character. There is no spot or blemish or flaw in God. Everything about God is good. But not only is God's character good, his works are good and his ways are good. Everything he does is good. His plans are good. His provision is good. His purpose is good. His providence is good. His protection is good. His pardon is good. All that God does is good. So if God is good and all that he does is good, then that means he is the source of everything that we need. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes from above, and it comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What does that tell us? That God is good all the time. No matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance you face right now, God is good. God is faithful. You ought to praise him because he's good. You ought to praise him because his unfailing love endures forever. Unfailing love or steadfast love, it's referring to the, the covenant love of God. 
You can read various translations, and all of them struggle how to translate this word. The New King James Version calls it mercy. The New International Version calls it uh, unfailing love. The New American Standard Version calls it loving kindness. The English Standard Version calls it steadfast love. All these different versions struggle because it's such a wonderful, gloriously indefinable word. And this is what it means. It means God's loyal love. God's loyal love. This steadfast love means that God will not change his mind about me and you even when we change our mind about him. Hear that again. His loyal love, that steadfast love means that God will not change his mind about me and you even when we change our mind about him. You may know what it's like to stray away, to wander from God and get out there to that place and wonder, man, I'm too far to come back. And if I do come back, I've been gone too long and I've done way too much that God would never want me back. But then somehow in God's grace, you make that U-turn. I've done it in my life. You make that U-turn in life and you come back and you find that God is waiting right where he left you or where you left him. Right where you left him, he's there ready to welcome you back. That is God's loyal, unfailing, steadfast love. And it's faithful to all generations. So here's a brief summary of God's character. God is good, God is love, God is faithful. If the Jews in the Old Testament, if they, that was enough for them, those three things was enough for them to go and to worship and to shout with joy, and to serve with gladness, and to sing songs of joy, and to enter the gates with thanksgiving, the courts with praise. If those three ideas were enough for them, man, how much more should we respond to that? Because we know that God's love, that his goodness, his love, his faithfulness, are more than just theological propositions. They're a living person. God's goodness has a name. God's love has a face. God's faithfulness was pierceable because he chose to die rather than give up on us. So we praise God for Jesus Christ who lived a life that we could not live and who died the death that we should have died so that by his blood and righteousness we can be restored to a living God. That is why we worship. That is why we can rejoice in his presence regardless of circumstance. That is why when we travel the road and we get discouraged and we feel distracted and we've lost our motivation, we've lost our desire, how could I ever praise you, God? We come back. It's because God is good. God is unchanging. God is faithful. Church, we worship joyfully because God is good. We worship joyfully because we know him. We worship joyfully because of his faithfulness. And we worship joyfully because his love is steadfast. His love is loyal. And he's worthy. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you challenge us this morning to look past the circumstance, to look past our own desire, our own preference. God, you ask us to look past our situation and see you. Because, God, you are not changing. You are stable. You are immovable. You are a rock. You 
You're our strong tower. You're our fortress. So many words in Scripture will remind us that you do not move, you do not change. Your character does not change. Your faithfulness does not change. So God, may you challenge us this morning. May you encourage our heart, but challenge our heart. God, to see you, Lord, to see a life of thankfulness, a life of gratefulness fuels our worship. In a day where we may say, man, God, I have nothing to be thankful for. How could I lift my voice in joy? How could I serve with gladness? How could I come before you with singing and with joy? How could I enter your gates with thanksgiving? How could I enter your courts with praise? That you'd remind us remind us who you are. That you are God and God alone. That you are the one who created us. And if you created us, you will take care of us. For you are our shepherd. God, and that you are good and that your love is faithful. Your love is loyal. That's why we worship. God, help us this morning. Help us see you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. A couple things. We always have some homework for you before you leave. So a few things that we want you to take with you this morning. One, we want you to pray that God will help you be aware of his faithfulness. And then find ways to worship him in spite of your circumstance. Take time to ask God to help you be aware of his faithfulness. Other thing we want you to do this week is we want, you to, we want you to invite someone to our Who is Coming to Christmas Advent series. We want you to stop by the welcome desk or stop by and see Pastor Gill on your way out. Grab some of the invitation tags that are on the keychain. Invite folks that they could come. They could come and know who God is. Know of his loyal, steadfast love for us.